All right, we're going to continue our series on putting first things first. If you were here last week, hopefully you were able to uh, chew on some of the things that we shared with you with regards to God's firstness in our life. You say, I've never heard of the word firstness. You come here a lot and I'll just give you a whole new dictionary. I'll just, I'll just make up words as I go along. Firstness. Everyone say firstness. You know, firstness. God wants firstness in our life. He wants to be first. If you didn't get to hear that, <clears throat> there may be some things that I'll share this morning. If uh, you haven't picked up on, you can go again to the website and go to iTunes and you can catch up with last week's word that way and uh, you'll be on the same page. But as you will recall, just by quick, quick review, I told you that, that in order for God to multiply things in our life, and we're not just talking about your money, although God does multiply our finances, but God wants to multiply our influence. He wants to uh, multiply our heart. He wants to multiply joy and peace. He wants to multiply miracles. I mean, I mean, God is a multiplying God. But in order for us to be qualified to multiply, we told you last week that he requires really three things, and that is right action, right heart, and right order. You can't have one or two of those things and expect God to just perform because you did, you know, sort of two out of the three. You know, I, well, I'm better than most, I did two out of the three. Well, no, God expects obedience from us, and so he expects us to do the right thing, he expects us to do it out of the right heart. And he also, and this is the part that we've been zeroing in on, he expects us to do things in the right order as to how he would want them to be accomplished. So we've just been sharing about putting first things first. In other words, putting things in order, giving God first place so that he can begin to multiply things in our life. And we left you last time really talking about uh, the Lord in your life and whether he is number one only in theory or whether he's number one in reality. See, I believe if I were to ask every one of you, you see, you're here at church this morning and, and you're here because there's something inside of you that says I need to worship God and I need to be at church and, and that's a good place to worship him corporately and so he's an important part of my life. I wouldn't question any of your sincere, genuine reasons for being here today and I'm glad you're here. Hope you come back a lot. But you see, the Lord is not just looking at our lives and, and, and hearing, our, hearing us say, well, Lord, you're number one. But when it comes down to reality, where does he really stack up in the list of important things to do in our life? Because how many of you realize he stands above all else? He has a name that is above every name. There is none like him. There shall be no other gods before him. He's number one. And so we began to just open up the door to that and hopefully not just to challenge you, but to reveal to you that when God becomes number one in reality, your life can dramatically change for the better. And today we're going to talk about what I've entitled the law of first things, the law of first things. Now, last week was, I told you, a lengthy introduction this week, I'm going to have to lay down some concepts that I don't know whether we call it Bible study or doctrine, uh, but you're going to have to really purpose to stick with me just a little bit. 
And then next week, I'm going to get to tell you stories and be way practical, and you'll love that. So I'm sort of teasing you along the way, getting you to come back from week to week. But today is the law of first things. One of our greatest confusions as Christians has been the place of the law and the concept of law in our lives. Most of us have been taught in some form or fashion that Jesus set us free from the law. Now, we've heard that taught somewhere, somehow. We know there's a verse in the Bible somewhere that seems to indicate that when Jesus came, he set us free from the law. And, and, and we know, at least superficially, that that means that we're not under certain regulations or stipulations in the Old Testament that we have to fulfill anymore. In other words, we didn't have a big sacrificial service and we brought the animals in today, slit their throats, and just created a bloody mess. That was a part of the law. And we know, at least at some level, we don't have to do that anymore. There are certain, maybe dietary instructions that we say to ourselves, well, I'm not sure that fits anymore. There are certain things we know that for whatever reason, whether we've, whether we put it together in our, in our mind and in our spirit, we know that we're not under supposedly the law. And the reason being, if we were asked, is most of us would say, well, it's because Jesus has come. Jesus has come and, and, and he has, however he has done it, he has caused things to change from the era where God instituted the law. Now, I want you to hear me real carefully as I say this. God instituted the law. The devil didn't institute it. Are you following me? So you got to understand that while the law may have changed, and we're going to visit about that in just a minute, the law may have been been worked with somehow in Jesus Christ, it's really important that you understand that the law's not evil. Now, it was, it was beginning to be abused, putting a burden and a bondage on people, no doubt, that was causing them to be weary, to causing them to be broken, causing them really to believe there was no way they could have a relationship with God. So I'm not saying it wasn't twisted and used for unrighteous purposes, but let's just understand, in the beginning, God gave the law, and it was for our good, it wasn't for our destruction. That's how it all started out. Now, because we've not thought about this much, and we've not been taught really much about it aside from, we've just heard people say, we're free from the law, what we begin to do is we begin to sort of figure it out on ourselves and oftentimes what we do is we sort of just make up our own thoughts in this area and we decide what we want to do and what we don't want to do and and maybe God required it before but I don't think he requires it now and what happens is without even realizing it because we're sort of these New Testament sloppy agape you know just God graces everything which means he lets me get away with anything we've become lawless Now, you need to hear me. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, said that there would be some who would come to him who would say, Lord, let us in to heaven, and he'll say no. And they'll go, what do you mean? What do you mean? You aren't going to let us in. We, We cast out devils in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did these things in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice, practice. Everyone say practice practice lawlessness now that was jesus so so we we, we've got to come to terms with the fact that while i don't believe we're saved by the law 
And most of us that have hung around and received teaching understand that we're, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. I understand that. I, can, I know it better than most of you. I got it. But what we don't have in the body of Christ is understanding precept and how the law fits into this thing. Because this is what we've developed in our modern church. This is what we've done. We've said, as long as I'm sincere, and as long as I tell everybody my heart's good, I can do anything I want. And I'm okay with God because I'm not under the law. Anytime somebody begins to talk to me about how I live my life and what I want to do, and I'm telling you, we've got Christians now, they go out and they get drunk on the weekends, and they go and they sleep around and they fornicate and commit adultery, and they're walking around saying, but my heart's good. (laughs) Really? Well, let's ask your wife that you messed around on whether she thinks your heart's good or not. See what I'm saying? It's convoluted. It's crazy. And, and I gave you an extreme example there for just a, a moment, but, but we do it in every area of life. The minute we're touched with something that we feel like we don't want to do, that, 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 that you're just putting me under the law. It's legalism. And what that has done is it has caused us to overlook and to ignore and to miss some precept that is vital for us. I'll just tell you right off the bat, you won't find the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. Does that mean we're no longer under any obligation to not covet our neighbor's wife? Does that mean I can go steal? Does that mean I can create carved images and worship them on my fireplace hearth? Well, of course not. Because intuitively we know that God still expects obedience from us. He still expects us to function under precept. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I've come to fulfill it. You see, before it was everything on the outside forcing me to do something. But Jesus said, now I can come live on the inside and you'll want to do it. Are you following me? Say, before it was, I'm just being roped in. Now it's, it's, he's in me. And this is what I want to do. Now, now, in the Bible, and again, where I'm laying just some doctrine. Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen. Now listen, in Hosea 4, 6, it says this. Maybe even on the screen. Hosea 4, 6. It says, my people are destroyed for what? Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Very important verse. You see, you can be sincere, but if you're sincerely ignorant, you can still be destroyed. You can be genuine, but you can be genuinely dumb to some things, and you can find yourself in a heap of trouble. God says in that particular passage, he says that there are some things still here, even in the Old Testament, that are important for our instruction. If you don't believe that, guys, post 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 6. Just verse 6, and then I'm going to jump over to verse 11. It says, and Paul was writing about the Israelites. He was saying, now these things became our examples. So the Jewish people have become our examples, he says, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Jump to verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for whose admonition? So in other words, here's a verse that tells us that the whole history of the Israelites were, was written and given to us in order that we might be admonished 
in order that we might not fall into the same problems they fell into, in order that we could begin to see God be who he wants to be in our life. And it's upon whom the end of the ages have even come. I share these things with you because I'm knocking out a, a conception in the body of Christ that is out there that somehow says I'm under, I'm under no, I'm under no restraints, I'm under no, I'm under no uh, sense of, of expectation to have to begin to live like God's first in my life. It simply isn't so. Now, let's read out of Exodus. I'm going to read you some weird verses. I, always, I used to always like it when the pastor preached out of weird verses. Because, because there's a lot of things I can understand real easily, but then there are some verses I used to read and I go, I don't get that one at all. And so I got a few weird verses here, and uh, I think you're going to like the weird verses. All right, Exodus 13, listen to this. Exodus 13, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me, meaning the Lord, all, everyone say all, all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Okay. Drop down to verse 12, and we'll read 12 and 13. It says that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you also shall redeem. Now, Jump over, stay in the book of Exodus to chapter 23. This is going to take just a moment, Exodus 23. Come on, I'm reading passages we never hear, never hear taught. Exodus 23, 19, very similar. God's saying something very similar again. He says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. And then here's a weird one. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, I'd never thought of that. I really, I'd never, I'd never thought about taking a young goat home, getting some goat's milk, and boiling it. Maybe talk to Tim and Casey about that. We'll... He said, don't do that. Don't, don't boil goat in goat's milk. Now, in, in all seriousness, the reason he said that was because it resembled a Canaanite fertility rite, which was pagan. And basically what he was saying is, don't do what the pagans do. I don't want you worshiping me like they do. I don't want you doing everything that they do. All right? This is what the... And they, and they did this in order to solicit virility. Virility not only in their livestock, but virility in themselves. And, and it, was, it was a very uh, lustful, um, degenerate, lascivious aspect of Canaanite uh, pagan worship. And so God says, I don't want you doing, doing this stuff. Don't, don't even get, get close to this. And then finally, in Exodus 34... And then we'll finish here. No, I'm not going to read you every weird verse in the Bible. Don't worry. Exodus 34, verse 19. Again, think about this. God, God didn't say this once. He didn't say it twice, but he's saying it how many times? He's going to say this three times. Do you think that if God says something three times, he's serious? Hey, mom and dad, if you tell your children something once, do you really expect them to obey it? Well, you do the first time. That's what we teach in our house. First time, obedience. But if we have to say something two times or three times, I'm just telling you, man, the fire's lit. 
I mean, if I say something three times, it's like the fire, it's on. It's on. Well, here God's saying something at least, and I could go to other books of the Bible, and I could read you almost the exact same passages again. God is saying over and over again something here. In 3419, it says this, All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, that's important, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you'll not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall befear Uh, appear before me empty-handed and then last verse verse 26 same chapter the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the lord your god and he says it again don't boil young goats in mother's milk all right i got that one i won't boil goats in their mother's milk now what is all this talking about pastor what i'm just trying to get up on time and get to work in the morning and you're talking about boiling goats in their mother's milk what, what in the world? I mean, I want a paycheck next week. Not, I don't care about goats and mother's milk. I understand that. We're going to get there. You see, the Israelites, listen to me, the Israelites as a people had a destiny. But the key to it is that there was a moment they had to be delivered from their bondage and then they had to be led to their promised land. I've told you this a hundred times. That as they got to the promised land, it represented everything they really wanted. A good house, a good place to live, good land by which they could prosper. They wanted some place to raise their kids. They wanted safety. All the things that you want in life, they wanted it too. And God said, I'm going to deliver you from your bondages, just like we did it in Counter, and I'm going to take you to a promised land. And they were, at moments in this process, passionately devoted to God during This whole journey, in fact, they were most devoted to him when times were hard. But the Israelites had a reputation that when things got good, they tended to get unfaithful. When things were going their way and everything was in order and their bellies were full and their flocks were were filling up their, 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 their lands and everything seemed on target, what happened was they got lazy and they began to forget the Lord And out of that, they became unfaithful to him. I mean, can you imagine? Just think about this. We know the story. Think about what God must have thought after he delivered them miraculously with signs and wonders. He delivers them out of the land of Egypt. He takes them out of their bondage in amazing ways. They carry with them the gold and the silver of Egypt. They're carrying out I mean, they've they've got Pharaoh's bank account. And they're walking out, and, and God's done this. It's an amazing thing. And can you imagine? They celebrated this with building a golden calf. Oh, they were so grateful for what God had done to them, they just built a golden calf. Think about that for just a minute. Think about how you would feel If you had married a person or you were married to a person, and maybe some of you have been in this place, but that you marry a person and this person says, well, I love you and I appreciate you and I thank you for all that you've done for me and how you've done all these incredible things in my life. But I want you to understand that there will be an occasion that I'm going to get drunk and have an orgy. You say, I can't believe you said that in church. Well, that's what it said in the Bible. What would you think? Would you just simply go, oh, that's cool. I understand. I, you got, hey, you got needs. 
Think about what God must have been thinking. How would, you, how would you feel if somebody came to you and said, listen, I'll be faithful to you, but I want you to understand, I think I can be faithful about, uh, let's see, 360 days a year. 360 days a year, I can be faithful to you, but five days a year, I'm just here to tell you I'm going to cut loose. And I don't want to be accountable to you. I don't want to hear it from you. I don't, want, I don't, I don't even want to be able to have to think about you. Now, I, I can tell you right now, if you are in a marriage relationship and your spouse were to offer those terms, that would not fly in most homes. Hey, let me tell you, it didn't even fly in Tiger's home. It doesn't, it doesn't fly. So why do we think it flies with God? You see, the key is, is that God wanted his people to be blessed. Can we agree with that? He was trying to get them out of chains and get them to something really, really good. And he wanted to multiply his goodness in their life. This is God's heart. It's still his heart towards us. But here's the key that we have to get a hold of. God must put in motion things that, that for us can demonstrate his firstness in our lives. You, you see, it, it wasn't good enough for the people just to say, oh, yeah, we love the Lord. We, we, we appreciate him. But, hey, we're still going to do this thing with the golden calf. See, God said there were going to be certain things that I'm going to be putting in place for you to demonstrate firstness, not in theory, but in reality. Hence, this is what we begin to read here in these weird passages that I'm teaching to you this morning. The Lord begins to implement something that's going to help them demonstrate his firstness in their life. He sets up a system where he wants things given as unto him in a certain way, and he designates five animals. He says, I, I have five animals here that I'm going to call clean or acceptable. And these five animals are ox, goats, sheep, pigeons, and turtle doves. Now, these are the animals that I'm going to declare as clean. And these are the things that I'm going to want presented to me in a certain way. Now, ox were expensive. And uh, only wealthy Israelites could have even had ox to have sacrificed them. Poor people, extremely poor people, would use turtle doves. They were very easy, very inexpensive animals that they could use for uh, sacrificing and and god would receive them as well but for most people most people in israel raised sheep or they could access sheep and so by and large the animal the favorite animal for sacrifice was sheep i understand we say to ourselves i cannot believe you would kill an innocent sheep but that's god he said it's a clean animal and this is what i'm going to require now <clears throat> The Lord said, I not only want a sheep from you, but he says, I want the firstborn. Everyone say firstborn. See, firstborn clean sheep. The firstborn clean animal, I want you to offer that to me. And this firstborn clean animal, I will consider, this is the Lord speaking. He said, I will consider this to be the devoted thing. It was to be reserved for the Lord. You couldn't use it for something else. It, 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 it couldn't be, uh, you know, it couldn't be exchanged for anything. It couldn't be taken back. But you were to take this sacrifice and this firstborn sacrifice was to be destroyed by fire. There was nothing, there was nobody was, we weren't going to barbecue it and all have lamb chops. We weren't going to, we weren't going to somehow use it in order to feed people. I mean, it was, it was to be consumed by fire as unto the Lord. It couldn't be used for any other offering. It couldn't be used for any other sacrifice. It was to be used only for this. Now, this is the important part. You may have had 100 clean sheep. 
think about that if you're just a sheep herder owner person chic and you've got a hundred sheep let's say and you begin to look at your sheep and say well i've got all sorts of sheep here and they're all clean sheep i mean they're not sick they're not they're they're not infirmed they're not there's no nothing broken on them and 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 i don't i don't understand why doesn't god take this sheep i mean it's just the same as this sheep it seems to me it looks the same it buys the same everything seems the same why don't we just give him this sheep and god says no i don't want one of your 100 sheep i want your first sheep why i started to study that why why because you could have all these sheep why why the first sheep Because I began to see, as it was taught, that the first one, listen, the first one, as it was offered to the Lord, would break the curse of the devourer off the rest of the herd. And so when the first one was offered as unto the Lord, God would move in order to bring protection and blessing, and yes, even multiplication to the rest of the herd and the devourer would not take away any from the herd by disease or by thieves or anything else now listen you could have given god one of the sheep in the middle one of the one i I choose uh sheep number 72 sheep number 72 it looks just the same and uh it buys just the same in fact there might even be a little there's some more good features about this sheep right here so we're going to give this sheep to god listen to me It could be exactly the same type of sheep going to God, but as it was offered to the Lord, that sheep would not break the curse off the rest of the flock. Following me? Because the only sheep that would do that was the the first sheep. Now, the Lord begins to talk to them about, well, what happens if I don't have any clean animals? Let's say I have a donkey. If you've ever been around a mule, you'll know that thing's not clean. He says, what if I got donkeys? I raise donkeys. And, and you, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't uh, have a way for donkeys? No, he says, this is what I want you to do. If you have a donkey, the donkey has to be redeemed. Because the donkey is an unclean animal in God's sight. So, and, uh, so you've got to offer to him a clean animal. So what you would do is you would substitute for the donkey a clean animal... And you would either buy one or you would work it out, but you would get yourself a clean animal and then you would offer it as unto the Lord. And if you couldn't do that, the Lord says, then you have to break its neck. And that is how you would come to the Lord with a first fruit, the first thing, in order to redeem the rest of your donkey herd or whatever that thing's called. So... But if, if you don't have one, if you couldn't do that, you would literally break it. And you just break it as unto the Lord. You couldn't use it. You couldn't have donkey ribs. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get donkey roast out of it. You couldn't do that. You could make donkey sausage or anything like that. I mean, it's just, it was as unto the Lord. Now, come on, stay with me. Don't, don't, don't zone out on me. I know it's the weird verses, but stay with me because I'm going to teach you something that we've lost. And because we've lost stuff, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Because in our minds, as we work, we say to ourselves, well, this seems kind of wasteful. It kind of seems silly. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I mean, how could, how could killing something like this be of more value than keeping it? 
it seems to me if I kept it, it would be more valuable because perhaps the sheep could procreate. If it's a female sheep, it could procreate and it could do some things. So it seems to me it would be more valuable keeping it. Listen, it's because by not acknowledging God's position of first, it would become an open door for the devourer to come and to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They would literally say to themselves, if I do not give God what is rightfully his, I am inviting a curse, literally a curse, into my life. Now, if they acknowledge God as first, it would sustain the blessing, it would rebuke the devourer, and God would begin to multiply what would remain, even though they sacrificed what was first. And so it was better to sacrifice what seemed like was a waste than it was to keep it and do what logic might lead you to dictate it's interesting that he even did this when it came to the firstborn sons now god never required he never required human sacrifice but what god did require was that when the firstborn son came in that again just like a donkey you would you would come and you would bring your sacrifice of your firstborn a clean animal and make it as unto the lord and it was to signify that even my children my children would be would be uh, handled with an understanding that god is still first now i'm going to make a leap here to our to our redemption this isn't even the point i'm trying to make but i bet some of you have already made the leap can you see what god's doing when it came to redeeming us you see how many of you know that when you and i were born we were born under a curse were we clean or unclean unclean i know some people think i'm clean no 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 we were all born we all have sinned and come short of the glory of god all of us All of us are unclean and God looks at us and and he he wants to multiply his heart in us and he wants to, he wants us to be blessed and he wants all of these things. But how many of you know, you can't multiply something that's unclean. So what does God do? God sends Jesus. Now the Bible says that Jesus was the first fruit. You go read James. He was the first fruit of many. Jesus literally becomes the clean lamb that is sacrificed as unto the Lord. And because of that sacrifice that's unto the Lord, what does God do through him? That as many as receive him, he gives to them the right to become what? Sons and daughters of God. And so through Jesus, we see that the rest of the world can be redeemed. Are you following me? That's that. See, Jesus always was. He is the first fruit of many. The first fruit of many. And I, and I really believe that God in some ways, now you can argue this with me and I'll just, I'll listen to you and I'll just go. And, uh, but you realize that, that human beings are unique in as much as is that we have an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus. Nobody's breaking your arm to get you right with God. Nobody's forcing you to be right with God. God gives you an opportunity. He sends grace that will woo you. But the truth of the matter is that there's somewhere in there that you're going to have to yield and cooperate with him reaching out to you. And the truth of the matter is when he gave his son, he did it. And I understand God knows everything. Don't misunderstand me. But do you understand that there wasn't anybody that was running to the cross that day saying, I get it. And there was really almost an act of faith. Even in the heart of God as he's saying, I'm going to send the first. I'm going to send the first. He didn't destroy us and start all over again. He said, I'm going to start with the first. Amazing, is it not? 
So let's talk about this. In our enlightened mind now, again, I'm going to go back to the sheep. We say to ourselves, what's the big deal about this? What is the big deal? What does it really matter if he gets the first good sheep or he gets the 50th good sheep? I mean, come on, God, you're getting a sheep. Just be glad you're getting a sheep. See, if it were me and I were raising sheep, this is how I would do it. I mean, I'm not, a, I, you know, I, maybe sheep are a lot like goats, maybe they're not. But if I were a, a, an animal herder farmer, I mean, I, I, and, and even if my heart was toward God, I tell you what I'd do. I'd find the fattest, wooliest, you know, best sheep. And, and I'm not saying it's the first, but, it, but if it was the 50th one, let's say, and maybe I'd give God the, the 50th one of 100 sheep, it's bigger, it's fatter, it's woolier. I, I mean, I mean, God, you're getting something better from me. And, and the whole time God is saying, no, I'm not asking for the biggest, fattest, wooliest. I'm asking for clean and I'm asking for first. That's what I'm asking. And our problem has been through the years is we believe that we can negotiate out with God. We believe somehow or another that if we think about things long enough that we can actually design a better scenario for our lives than what God could design. We actually have the unmitigated goal, think about this, that we'll go to the Lord and say, I know exactly how you can do this, Lord. You just let me do this and that and A and B and I can do this and that and it'll really work out for you. Hey, you just take it easy. This is one person you don't have to worry about. And God's looking and saying, I don't want what you think is best. I don't want, want what you perceive might be best. I want the first. I want to know whether or not I'm first in your life. Now, next week, I'm going to tell you all the funny stories. But through the years, I've heard, I'm just telling you what I've heard as a pastor through the years. I've heard this. I've heard people say, well, you know what? I, 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 I'm investing in my business and I'm setting up my business and I can't really tithe right now. But you know what? I, there, there's going to be a time that, that, that I've already seen it. Thousands and millions of dollars are going to come and I'm going to do some incredible things for the kingdom and God's going to get massive offerings from me and it's already starting to happen. And, and, and I mean, I, I'm only making 10 bucks and if I just gave him a buck, I mean, what's a buck to God? But one of these days, he's going to get millions out of me. Listen, he doesn't give a rip about your million. He wants to know if he's first with the 10. Is he first with the 10? I've heard people say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to save up. I've literally heard this. This is a, I'm telling you, I've heard this. Someone say to me, you know what? I, I believe God's telling me that I'm just supposed to save up several million dollars in a savings account. And when I save up several million dollars in a savings account, then I can go serve the Lord full time and that nobody will have to pay me anything. And I could pastor, I could be a missionary, I could do all of these things. And the Lord wouldn't have to worry about me because I would have my nest egg all together and uh, it would be all there and, and we would be all set up and I could serve the Lord full out. Do you understand that God isn't looking for people who can jam billions away? He's looking for people who can say he's number one. He's number one. And I can take you through the scripture and show you a rich young ruler who, when he was challenged with just that fact, couldn't do it. Listen, we, we don't even know the end of that story. We don't know if Jesus would have somehow multiplied it back to him. We don't know because the rich young ruler never got to the place where he could say the Lord was number one. You see, listen, there are people, there are people here today. Now, hear me. Hear me what I'm saying. Don't, don't be offended yet. But you give God 10%. I, 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 know, I know that. I believe that. We know that tithe, like I'm just using that as an example, tithe is 
But this is how we do it. Listen. We get our budget out. We got paid. And then we go, we got to pay the light bill, got to pay the car payment, got to pay the natural gas, got to go to the grocery store and, and buy all my groceries. And I got to take care of all my obligations. And the whole time you're going, oh, please, sweet Jesus, let there be enough. Lord, I, my heart is to tithe. My heart is to give you 10%. But I'm just, I'm just under such, such you know, incredible pressure. I know I've made you know, decisions I probably shouldn't have made. But, but Lord, and then here's the good news. The good news is you get to the end and you say to yourself, hallelujah, I've still got my tithe. Oh, isn't that great? And, and, and you take it and you take it to the storehouse and you put it in and you go, man, I'm so glad. Because I know that's important because I'll tell you what, pastor talks about that. I know that stuff's important. Listen to me. I don't know how else to say this except this. You gave 10%, but you didn't tithe. See, I'm changing your worldview, aren't I? Because you see, the key is what was first. You see, if I had a table out here, think about this. If I had a table out here and, and, and there were, and let's just say just for the sake of argument, you made $10, and, and I put 10 $1 bills. Imagine that. 10 $1 bills on this table. And uh, it represent whatever it was that you were enlarged with. Now, if I were to say, how much is a tithe? What's the answer? 10 $1 bills, what's a tithe? $1, right. So we all know that one of these dollars is my tithe, right? The question is, which one? Whoa, whoa, whoa. If they're all laying out here, how do I know which one's first? See, the key is to understand first, it's the first one to leave your hand. If you want to know what first is in your life, it's, it's what's first to leave your hand. If you want to know what's first in your life, it's first in your planning. It, it, it's first in your consideration. I mean, I, I've watched people for years, they'll plan their life out and somewhere down there they'll try to figure out where God fits in all of this and they love the Lord and they want Him to fit in it, but it's almost as if they're trying to jam Him into their already busy schedule. God's not looking to be a part of your life. God multiplies those with whom He is number one in their life. You see, is it not true? Listen to me, God doesn't need that dollar, does He? Does God need your dollar? Everyone say it. There's no lightning. God doesn't need that one dollar of ten. I'll let you in on a little secret. God doesn't need ten of your hundred. God doesn't need a hundred of your thousand. He doesn't need a thousand of your ten thousand. God doesn't need, God doesn't need your tithe off a million or ten million or one billion. Can we just all just be honest right now? God doesn't need anything that's in your bank account right now. God doesn't need it, does he? He doesn't need, he doesn't need, you think, you think I'm trying to get in your bank account. God, I'll say it out loud, underline it, write it down. Pastor said, God doesn't need my money. It's true. I agree. He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need my kids. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need my schedule. He doesn't need anything. He, I mean, do you understand if we all just decided to turn on God and go an opposite way, it isn't going to affect him all that much. I mean, it might disappoint him, and he might be, I guess, in the economy of, of how God is. It might break his heart, but his kingdom will go on. If I chose tomorrow that I didn't want to pastor, and I was just going to rebel and, and go off my own way, how many of you know God's kingdom would go on? It doesn't need me. Doesn't need you. Doesn't need any of us. He's God. 
But the key to all of these things that we haven't got revelation on is that we're we're working through our account thinking God needs it and God isn't needing it. He's given it to you in order to see in reality the position he holds in your life. It isn't going to affect me one way or the other. You say, I don't even believe in that stuff. Well, then don't. It isn't going to affect me any. It's going to affect God all that much. But it'll affect you incredibly. Don't you believe the bumper sticker? I hate bumper stickers. People don't. They try to put theology on a bumper sticker, and then they mess it all up. It says, God is is my co-pilot. Don't you let God be in the second seat. God isn't my co-pilot. He's in the driver's seat, man. If he's not first, multiplied blessing will not be released. The issue isn't amount. The issue isn't intention. I don't care, kids, if you are babysitting and someone gives you a $10 bill, that dollar needs to be first out of your hands. And if you can get firstness now, it'll be helpful when God gives you millions of dollars. It isn't an issue. Listen to me. I'm not talking about heaven or hell here. This isn't about you going to hell. I'm not, if you want, if you want a message like that, maybe I'll develop one for you. I'm not talking about hell. This isn't about eternal destiny. I'm talking about the reason why some of us think we're doing everything we're doing and it's not working. This is about success and failure. This is about why the Church of America doesn't seem to be as effective as third world countries that are absolutely exploding. It's because in America we haven't quite decided who's first. Who's first? Who's first? Now I'm going to tell you a story here. I've got to move real quickly. Many of you have heard the Cain and Abel story. Uh, For years, um, I saw Cain and Abel and I didn't get it. In Genesis chapter 4, let's hurry over there. Genesis chapter 4, I got to hurry. You know the Cain and Abel story. It says that they're bringing an offering in Genesis 4 verse 1. There's Cain and Abel, their birth from their mom Eve. And it says that uh, Abel was the keeper of the sheep, Cain was the tiller of the ground. Verse 3, in the process of time came to pass. Underline that. In the process of time it came to pass, Cain brought an offering of the fruit to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, for years, I'll be honest with you, I was confused over this story. But when you begin to understand the law of first things, it makes sense. And I want to share with this. This was before this was before the actual law was even instituted. I mean, these guys are functioning under a precept that apparently was revealed in the earth long before Moses ever got a law and instituted it in Exodus and you know Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now it says here that over time, everyone say over time. See, not right away. It wasn't right away. Over time, Cain brought some, the Bible says, of his increase. Doesn't say that he brought the first, does it? It says that Cain brought some, but Abel brought what? The firstborn of his flock. Now, what happened? Well, the Bible tells us that Cain, because he gave some over a process of time, that God disregarded his offering. But the Bible says that with Abel bringing a firstborn, God received it. And as, and as all this happens, Cain is upset. Now hear me, this is a perfect example of the church. We look at people, we look at each other, and we'll say, why is God blessing them, but he's not blessing me? Why is God working in their life, but he's not working in my life? 
I brought an offering to the Lord. I brought it to, I brought it to God. Why isn't, why isn't this thing working? And we don't understand that if something isn't first, God doesn't operate on it. And this is what he says to Cain. He says, this is a teachable moment, Cain. If you do what is right, it will be okay. But he says, sin is crouching at the door. The devourer is crouching at your door. Do you see that the enemy is waiting because Cain chose not to honor God with the first? So what happened? He became vulnerable to the destroyer. Now, hear me. It wasn't that Cain didn't give. It wasn't that God would not eventually and probably get all that was due to him. It was that Cain refused to deal with the law first. You got to understand, God is real. Do we believe God's real? You see, you have to understand that as he looks and he watches us, this isn't theory, folks. He literally is is watching to see how we demonstrate his firstness in our life. Now, don't get confused by what you've heard with sloppy agape and easy believism and all that silly grace heresy, some of it is, that simply tells you you can do what you want and you're okay. That is not the Bible. It says if you love him, 1 John said, you will do what he asks of you. Now, that's just Bible. Now, don't go out of here and say, he preaches works. No, I don't. I preach obedience. I don't believe obedience is works. Works is trying to merit something from God. Obedience is because I'm filled with God. I love him. I want to please him. There's a difference. Now, I'll show you this, and, 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 and then we're going we're, we're gonna to close. This is the last thing. In, in uh, the book of Joshua, the children of Israel are going into the promised land. And in order to secure their promise just like you, they have to battle. How many of you know if you're going to get your promise, there's going to be some battles? So they're battling and, and preparing to battle. They've been in bondage for 430 years. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They're to the brink of their destiny. Everything that God had promised, they're on the brink of. Their corporate destiny, their personal destiny is at stake. And God releases a strategy through Joshua as to how they're to conquest the land and all the cities. Because the first city they're going to fight is what city? Jericho. That's the first city as they're going into the land. Now, God gives them an unusual strategy, does he not? He tells them that, that uh, they're going to uh, march around this a certain amount of times. And on the, on the last time, they're going to march and be quiet. And then they're going to shout their brains out. And God says that he will give them the city. He literally says, shout, for uh, the Lord will give us the city. But in all of that, we miss one of the other stipulations that God puts out there with regards to the victory at Jericho. In Joshua 6, verse 17, he not only gives them the strategy of victory, but this is what he says to them. He says, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that were sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Now, Let me just share with you that word accursed in my Bible, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I checked this out, and you can check it out as well, that that the word accursed is etymologically derived also from the word devoted. And so in some of your Bibles, it will say that the Lord looked at him and said, don't touch the devoted things. Now, here's the key. God says there are some things in Jericho that I'm going to want that you're not to have. They're devoted as to me. Now, they're mine, so they're devoted unto me. But if you take, put your hands on it, it's going to be, what, cursed. Because it's, it's, it's mine. And uh, 
So it says, don't do that. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. Verse 19, but all the silver, gold, vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the who? Lord. And they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And so he gives them the strategy of marching and shouting. And he also tells them, when you go in here, now don't get your fingers on the silver and the gold and all the rest, it's going to come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, why is this? I'll just say it again. The reason he says this is because Jericho is the what city? First city. How would you guarantee victory in all the cities that you're going to have to battle in this campaign to get your destiny? How would you guarantee that God would bless that? How would you guarantee that God would be with you? How would you guarantee that, that, that the Lord would lead the battle and there would be no problems? I'll tell you how you would do it. You'd make sure that the first city, right, was as unto the Lord. Now, let me ask you also a question. Conversely, if you wanted to make sure that you were going to lose and things would break down and it wouldn't go like you would think and all of a sudden everything's disheveled in a mess, what do you do in order to get that to happen? You make sure you get your fingers on the devoted things. Now, they went at Jericho, and uh, they're celebrating the victory. And the question is, did they obey the Lord's instruction? Well, most of them did. Because the Israelites, you see, they understood then what we don't get now. And despite the fact there was all this plunder for the taking, most, if not all, kept their hands off it. Now think about this. All this plunder in Jericho would have financed the rest of the battles. All this plunder could have fed the armies. All this plunder could have set everybody up in business. All this plunder could have gone to a lot of wonderful, incredible things. Would it not have made sense to finance the rest of the battles with just the booty off the first city? Sure, in the natural mind, that would have obviously financed everything, but not if you understand first things. And there was one guy who ignored it. His name was Achan. You remember the story? Achan decided as they were pillaging Jericho, that as there was this confusion going on, that he was going to pick up a few of the devoted things. In the confusion, nobody was watching what was going on. He was filling his own sack full of some silver and some gold. And he took it back, the Bible says, to his tent. And he literally buried it in the ground. Now, I've had people say to me, they say, do you think maybe Achan didn't know what he was doing? I know he knew what he was doing. If, 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 let me tell you, the reason I knew he knew what he was doing is because he buried it. The minute you hide something is the minute you know you know what you're doing. When people hide things and they say, I didn't know what I was doing, then why'd you hide it? Duh. And so the next city was Ai. Now, Ai was a smaller city, really easy city. Should have been just, at that, it, you could have sent a quarter of the troops in and it would have been an easy, easy battle. But yet they lost. Israel lost. Well, they all look at each other and they say, what in the world's going on here? Why did we lose? And so Joshua begins to look through everything and he doesn't get this right away he starts looking through and asking questions and trying to figure out what's going on because he knows that something went awry at jericho in order for this to happen now i'll tell you what i believe i believe that the reason god didn't instantly give him a word of knowledge is because he was still giving achan a chance to fess up but achan chose not to fess up until finally joshua hones in on it and he finds out that it was achan 
And because of one man's disobedience, we see in this story, the whole armies were shut down. And so what did they do? They did something really radical. They stoned him. They they built a memorial over him after the stoning. And they understood that unless they dealt with this in such a way that it was etched in the minds of the rest of the Israelites that, that God had determined through them that they were going to be covenanted in such a way that they were all going to win together or they were all going to lose together. And it was after that that all of a sudden the victory came back to the camps of Israel. Now, I don't believe that God, you know, in fact, I know he doesn't. He doesn't require us, you know, stonings and hangings and, and all the things that sometimes we see by way, of, by way of instant judgment in the Old Testament. It's because the Bible tells us that, that we're to be careful about our judgment. We're to leave things in the hands of God because, unfortunately, human beings do twist things. And so God does make amends under a new covenant with, his, with how we are to deal with, with people. So that's not, that's not how it works all the time in corporate setting today. But, but can I at least derive from that precept this point? We wonder why churches, I think, sometimes struggle under corporate blessing and anointing. I can tell you why individuals struggle, but the Church of America, I think, struggles is because we've not determined if God will be first or not. Now, don't be looking around at each other saying, who's Achan in our midst? I'm not, I'm not deputizing any Achan sheriffs. Because truth is, there's a little Achan in all of us. But we need to do like Joshua did. Joshua, when they lost the battle, got before the Lord, he put his face in the ground. And he said, oh God, where is the blessing gone? Oh God, is, is there something we're not doing right? Oh God. I know you've called us to to win these battles and to secure this land. Where is it that you're not first? Show me and I will will bring you back up to the top of the list. Folks, here's the good news. The good news is you are promised as a people. I am promised as a person. We are promised together. We we are greatly promised, but I tell you what, we have got got to get a hold of this revelationally. And that is God's asking us to put him first, not in theory, but in reality. And my question has been of myself, and we'll just put it out there. How much loss will we endure until we put our faces in the ground and we say, Oh God, I know what you've called me to do. I know the blessing of the Lord is there. I know I'm promised to do exceeding abundantly above all that I could ask or think. I know, I know that you're a good God and your blessings come without burden. They're to come upon me and they're to overtake me. I'm to be the head and not the tail. I'm to be above and not below. I, I'm to be blessed. Am I going in? Am I coming out? And if the enemy comes against me, one way he's to he's to depart in seven ways lord if it's not happening show me where it is that you're not number one and i will make you number one first thing this story and i'm concluding exodus 13 there's an interesting thing as i was reading this and it touched my heart In Exodus 13 and 8, as God is talking about these first things, he stops and he says this in verse 8, Exodus 13, verse 8. He said, and you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done. The reason we take the first sheep, not just any sheep, but the reason we take the first sheep, the reason we do these things, these weird things that you're looking at right now and you don't quite understand right now. The reason we do these things, God says, tell your son on that day saying, this is done. 
because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And I started thinking about this. I started thinking about a young boy and how inquisitive young boys are. And how a day comes, and maybe they're six, seven, eight years old. I don't know how old they'd be. But they come running up, and Dad is taking the firstborn sheep. And he's picking up the firstborn sheep. And he's getting ready to take it, to sacrifice it, to have it consumed as before the Lord. It's the first one, and it's clean. And the little boy runs up, and he says, Dad, where are you going? Where are you going? And, and, and you go, well, son, I'm taking this, and I'm offering it unto the Lord. And, and all of a sudden, he stops. He's at the moment where he's beginning to put some things together. And he stops, and he says, Dad? Dad, I know we raise sheep, and uh, it seems to me it'd make more sense if we kind of kept this one, and uh, it would certainly add to the flock, and since, you know, it's, it, it, it can procreate, it, it, it would procreate more sheep, and since we are in business to make a profit, it seems like it makes more sense to me if we just kept it, maybe, and maybe we just, we just tried something else with the Lord, and, 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 and the father is, is walking along. And then I thought of another scenario, maybe that the boy comes and says, hey, dad, where are you going? Hey, that that sheep was born not long ago. That's one of my favorite sheep. I've named him. I've named him Wooly. Where are you taking Wooly? We've been feeding him and tending and playing with him. And we've kind of grown attached to him, Dad. And I see you carrying him off. And you tell me you're taking him to sacrifice. And hey, Dad, I mean, we've got all of these sheep out here. Can't we use, like, old grody fuzzy over there? Let's kill him. He's got a bad disposition anyway. He's fatter. He's woolier. I mean, come on, Dad. That's our favorite one. That's, that's our favorite one. And he stops, think about this, and he stops, and he says, son, come here. He says, I want to tell you about a time that you don't know about when we were enslaved in a place called Egypt. There wasn't much food. We didn't have much to wear. There were no homes, no wages. We lived under a taskmaster who made life incredibly difficult. You can't even imagine. And God brought us out of that and and all that you see around us now, this this great farm and all these lands and all these sheep and and all the things that now you enjoy. You have your own room and you have your little Nintendo in there that you can play with in the tent. and, And all the things that you have now, I want you to understand God did this. God did this. And God told me That because of all of this, to keep him number one, that we always give him the first sheep because of all that he's done for us. I started to think about that. And I started to think about some of our young people that are starting to give birth to babies. I won't embarrass you, Dr. Will, but I was thinking about you, Dr. Will. I was thinking about you. I thought about that day that there's going to be a little boy running around. You know, six, seven years old. I don't know how old he's going to be, and he'll be over there at your office, and you'll be sitting at your desk, and you'll be, you'll be writing out your tithe check. Legacy. <laughs> Glory to God. 
And he jumps up in your lap and goes, Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And you're saying, well, son, I'm taking care of some, some bills. I'm taking care of everything that I've got in order to, to do this. And he looks and he says, ah, I see you're writing a check. I see you're writing a check to the church, Dad. Whoa, Dad, that's a lot of money. Whoa. And he says, yes, son, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a lot of money. Wow, we could buy some new hunting clothes with that. Dad, we could go out, man, we could get the gun, we could get the, we could get, man, we could pour that basketball court in in the backyard. Dad, whoa, dad. And then this is what touched my heart. I thought about that before. When you look at him, and I know you will, when you say, son, there was a day that daddy didn't always love the Lord like he loves him now. There was a day that there were chains and there were bondages. But with a mighty hand, God set me free. And this is my way for the rest of my life of saying, God, you are first. You will forever be first. Is he first in your life? Miracles and blessings and, and an exceeding abundant thing is on the brink of happening to you. And all God asks is, am I first? You know, it's really interesting to me. I listen to miracles as they come in. I listen to miracles. And I can tell you that miracles come to people who have made him first. Stand with me, will you?